last week we, we discovered that the church is called to be a loving and united family, didn't we? That was the, uh, the key from last week. It was the title of last week that, that Jesus put us here to be, a, to, to be a loving and united family of our Heavenly Father. And I thought that was a, a pretty good point to start us off. We learned things from the book of Ephesians, um, like these words, honor, gentleness, patience, forbearance, love. What about our best effort? You know, our best effort in what? In pursuing unity and the, the willingness of our lives to be prisoners of peace, as Paul talks about in those first six verses of uh, Ephesians chapter 4. These characteristics were found in the um, best prescriptive passage that I said last week. Who remembers? It was Ephesians 4, 1 to 6. But last week, time ran away really quickly. And I remember that um, the material that I was preparing from... Uh, Pastor Bill actually had about an hour and 15 minutes or something to share that message that I had to try and do in 40 minutes. So it was sort of, I felt a little bit ripped off in a sense because I didn't get to share these four things. So I really feel impressed this morning to share these four things to help bring a little bit of clarity around what it is to live lives of honor, gentleness, peace, uh, patience, forbearance, pursuing the best, pursuing uh, being prisoners of peace and things like that. These are four maxims that will help us. So if you remember your notes last week, you can flick to them really quickly and, and you can write these down because it's important. The first one, I don't know if I've got, uh, got them here. Yeah, I do. Look, there you go. First one is if we are to work actively toward unity, in our church family, we must respect each other's uniqueness in Christ and the individual callings that we all express. So we look at that, if we're looking at promoting love and unity, then we're all not going to be cookie-cutter Christians, are we? You know, God doesn't take a cookie-cutter out and go, and that's everybody that belongs to Life Source Church. It'd be pretty boring if it was like that, yeah? You know, he actually took your cookie cutter and broke it the moment that you were conceived. Right? So there's uniqueness in every one of you and actually needs to be celebrated. It needs to be cherished. It needs to be, um, it needs to be encouraged out of one another. Amen? Yeah, so you need to celebrate these things. Romans 15, 7 says, Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Think about that. Where were you when Christ accepted you? Anything like me was a deep, dark mire with lots and lots of issues and lots and lots of problems and, and uh, much hate and anger built up inside my life. You know, the person next to you could be going through those very things now. And Jesus tells us to accept them, to love them, to honor them. The second one, is this sense that uh, let's decide to focus only on each other's many positives and not on the few negatives that we all have in our lives. I'll say that again. We all have negatives. yeah, And we've got to learn and choose to focus on the positives in that person's life and promote that in the church and encourage that and bring the best out of people. But too often what we do is we run around behind people's backs and we... And we're highlighting the negative and we're partnering with the enemy in gossip and slander and tearing down our brother and sister. But we see, we need to focus on the good, positive things in their life. The Apostle Peter says it so well when he says in 1 Peter 4.8, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sin. You know, 
love covers a multitude of sins. So if someone hurts you or if someone's doing something you don't like and you're running around and talking about them behind their back, you're not covering that person with love. You're surely not covering that person's sin with love. The third point that I didn't get to say last week in concluding in this whole thing of living out a loving and unified church is always defend each other when negative or destructive criticism is leveled by people who are not living by the New Testament's love principles. We all have it. People come to us and share things. People talk about um, one another and you know that's humanity. But it's not kingdom life, is it? 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7 says, Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Does it sound like your life? Are you filled with love today? Or maybe maybe all of a sudden, Holy Spirit just jumped on you and said, you know, this isn't who you are. You're doing these things and you're not living to the standard that I've died for, in the words of Jesus. So you think about that and you go, wow, conviction hits your heart. I just thank God that we're able to keep a short account and later on today in communion, maybe, maybe you need to say sorry to God and ask for forgiveness. Maybe, maybe you've been doing these things and you, was, you think, wow, right now I want to promote unity and love. I don't want to promote hate and anger and, and gossip and all those things. And in communion, you'll have the opportunity, I pray. You just say, God, make me right. Give me a clean heart, a pure heart. The fourth one and the last one that we didn't get to touch last week was this whole sense of diligently practice Matthew 18.5, which says, if your brother or sister's sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen, you have won them over. Amen? It's a good thing. It's a good way to practice life. Jesus orders us to go to our brother or sister in a, if an offense has taken place and talk only to them and no one else. Wow, that's a tough challenge, isn't it? Talking only to the person that's hurt you and to no one else. You know, sometimes someone's hurt me and I've gone to my wife and spoken to her. And, and, and although I can justify that, although I think that's an okay thing to do because you need someone uh, in your life to be able to bounce things off, sometime it's been not because I've wanted to better myself in those things. It's because I just wanted to slander that person who's hurt me. And we've got to be very careful how we do that and I'm not saying that you can't do that. What I'm saying is you need to check your motives. and You need to put love as the highest order, amen? Because what are we doing? We're putting every best effort, every best effort, everything that we can put in, we're putting towards fighting for the unity of the brethren. Okay? Every best effort is to push into the things that God wants us to do, which is to be unified and loving body of Christ. That was last week. This week, we got a new thing to look at. You know, I rushed through them really quickly, but I thought they were important. What did you reckon? They were important enough to say? Yeah? Because if we can't find the practical application of the lesson, then we go home and we go, what was that all about? This week, it's uh, the ministering family of our Holy Spirit or the ministering family of our Heavenly Father. Okay? We've got to look at the fact that if we're called to be loving and unified, it's for a purpose. It's not just so we can sit around and sit in a campfire and sing Kumbaya and, and have a glory party. It's actually for a purpose of being ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
So love and unity actually empowers us, uh, empowers us and compels us to live as ministering family of Jesus Christ. So we move from one and con- the conclusion and we move into this new topic. But it's not a new topic because it comes out of the same passage of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 4, 1 to 13 is this prescriptive passage of the church. We only did the first six weeks, the first six verses last week. Bill Vass says this. He says, Paul is saying that ministry service in all its natural diversity is miraculously facilitated and enabled when genuine love and unity are flowing in a church. And this gives us hope in our highly dysfunctional world. Now let's read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. I've got it up here for you to follow along. It says, however, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives. Paul is saying that gifts of ministry were generously given after Jesus defeated and disarmed all of the demonic spiritual enemies through his resurrection and ascension after his death on the cross and he gave gifts to his people verse 9 continues notice that it says he ascended this clearly means that christ also descended to the lowly world in other words jesus came to the earth to die for our sins smash satan's authority and to grace us with ministry gifts When we say smash Satan's authority, what we're talking about there is that we have disarmed him, not by our own strength and our own might and our own faith, but he has been disarmed by the very death and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. He is now a toothless tiger. And although he might try and fear you to make you move away from faith, he actually has no claim or right to your life at all. The only time he ever had claim on your life was when you abdicated it to him because of sin in your life. And God dealt with sin at the cross. He nailed it to that cross upon his, the shoulders of his very son, Jesus Christ. And as his son stood, uh, was nailed there to that cross, bleeding out, saying the very thing, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? It was in that very moment Jesus declared, it is finished. Sin was defeated, completely washed. God, at that very moment, chose to say that he would no longer remember your sin. So where is that sin today? It's still happening. We're all doing it. But we're no longer identified by that sin. We're identified by the very fact that we're sons of the Most High God. God chooses to not remember your sin no more, therefore dealing with the very thing that separated you from him. Even though you might fall today, he still says, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. Why? Because Jesus once and for all hung upon that cross. If it wasn't the so, if it wasn't the sake, Jesus would have to do it again because today I've sinned. If it wasn't so, if it wasn't because of his great and merciful love, Jesus would have to die every moment of every day of every life. But it was once and for all. It was perfect. It was pure. It was God's ultimate plan. It wasn't plan B. 
It was plan A from the very beginning. Choosing to no longer remember your sin, to no longer let sin become a problem and an issue between you and him anymore. And the moment you believe that, the moment you come into faith, is the moment that the claim of the enemy upon your life to take you into a death and a destructive hell is gone because you come into the living and loving Father's care and hands. And that's why we sing he's a good, good father because he's dealt. He's given sin one blow. He's given the enemy a mighty blow. Death, where is your sting, the Bible says. You see, we think about that. He ascended but it clearly means that he descended into the lower worlds, that he went and he set the captives free. Those who in previous times had put their faith in Christ, he gave the right to come out of that place and to have eternal life. You think that despair and hell and all of those things might be meant for you because you've sinned. But in one moment, in one decision, in one faith declaration, that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, that upon that cross he died, you have the right to be called the sons of God, chosen by him. So you see, Paul is talking here. Satan has no authority. Therefore, you, your anxieties need to be given over to Christ. Verse 10 continues. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. What a picture of the resurrected Christ who now has absolute authority and power as the reigning sovereign of the universe. So you might cry out to Jesus as your Lord. You might see the desperation of your soul that being cut off from God because of sin that you need to cry out to a saviour to set you free. But have you ever seen that he is the sovereign Lord of the universe and therefore becomes the sovereign Lord of your life? Jesus is the head of the church and therefore he is sovereign over all things. And he causes us to live in love and unity. But then he continues, he gives gifts to men. It says in verse 11, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. These gifts are gifts of people with a particular ministry focus. And now our victorious demon-crushing master of the universe calls and gifts us to be personally involved in his mission. This occurs as we declare his hope-inspiring victory through the cross to our world by showing his unfailing love to all people and by demonstrating his limitless power because he really is alive. But you see, these five gifts to the church, these gifts of people, excuse me a moment, I'm a bit dry. These five gifts of people, they're for a purpose. And that purpose is the very next verse. That purpose right here says to Prepare God's people for the works of service so the body of Christ may be built up. This all-conquering, all-powerful, sovereign God who gave death its final blow and sin no more power 
and the enemy he stripped him of all authority has now given gifts to the church for the purpose of equipping the body of Christ. Think about that. We can't sit back and think, well, God's given these five gifts to the church, let them do it all. Because then we're actually not living in faith and we're not living in obedience to what God is saying here through the Apostle Paul. One must sit back and actually say, this is for the purpose so that I can find my purpose in the church, so that I can find my equipping in the church, so that I can find my gifts, so that I can continue to build to the unity of the church and to the call of the kingdom of God in and through each and every local church. The total orientation of people who have been graced with these gifts is to equip and empower others to serve so that his ever-growing church will have what it needs to be fruitful and function effectively. So there's important points to consider. There are some important points to consider. Stumbling my words today. Firstly, we have all been given a gift by Jesus to minister. All of us. You might not fit into the category of apostle, apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist. You might not fit into those categories, but some of you might. But you still got a gift from God. Not just the five listed, as these five are to assist you in developing your gifts to minister and to be the church. A pastor can't be a church. No. A pastor shepherds a church, cares for, tends, teaches, feeds, brings healing to the flock. But the church is the people, together, working for the glory of God. Peter, like Paul, says that Jesus' church though united in love and purpose, is so exciting in its diversity and no one is to be excluded from being involved in ministry. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now later on in the year, we'll do a study on the gifts and have a look at them a little bit more. But today I want you to know that this is talking about a motivational gift. What motivates you? What drives you? What, how God has made you. And that's where valuing one another comes in. And not running around behind their back and talking about each other. Because one gift might be strong in one area. And you might not see your life like that. So you compare and you bring about challenge and change. Romans 12.6 says this. Oh, have I got it up there? I'm lost. There we go. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Romans 12, 6. Having gifts that differ, help us to use them in accordance to the grace given to us. Having gifts that differ, we're not all meant to look alike because each of us are called to serve a purpose. That means every single person who is part of a local church community is to be involved in Jesus' continuing ministry and hope-generating mission in this world. I really like how Bill Vass has said it year after year after year as I've gone to conference. Every person in our church is called to continue 
the purpose and mission of Jesus Christ. But you see, Christianity throughout the ages have seen that Jesus fulfilled his purpose the moment he stretched out his hands. The moment that he died upon the cross and paid the very price that would set us free from our sin. Jesus' purpose wasn't complete then. His human purpose was complete then. Or else he would not rise again from the dead. If Jesus had risen from the dead and therefore presented a call, go and make disciples to the church, equipping them, empowering them, gracing them to go and be his body, his hands, his feet, his mouthpiece to the world, then it shows us that he is a call to each Christian and each member to become a part of his continued purpose. See, that's, that's, that's a very open in picture, isn't it? Or else we might as well, I've said this years ago, we might as well bring people to the Lord, bring them to faith, and baptize them three times and bring them up twice. It'll make it so much easier sometimes. But where would the life of the church be? Where would the gifts of the church be? Where would the expression of Christ be to the world? It wouldn't be there. See, God's plan is so much greater and so much higher than what we as humans can ever think. And it involves each and every one of us. His plan is so much greater than ours. I praise God for that. Because in His infinite wisdom, you and I wouldn't know each other. We wouldn't be called to cleave together, to work together, to encourage each other, and to go beyond ourselves and to share Christ into this world. Every single person who is a part of a local church community is to be involved in Jesus' continuing ministry, bringing hope to a world. Secondly, we all have at least one of the following gifts. Here's your gifts list. This is, this is not exhaustive in any list. Um, but you have a read there. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, encourager, server, helper, contributor, leader, administrator, mercy giver, healer, miracle worker, tongue speaker, interpreter of tongues. But then there's this etc. there, isn't there? You see it up there? I wrote it up there. It's almost like there's an extensive list that continues to grow. It's like, um, I'd never seen it before, but the other day I saw it. It's like looking at the nine uh, fruits of the Spirit in Galatians, but then in Colossians there's another two in there. So is there nine or is there eleven? I think there's an etc. there as well, isn't there? You know, we might have peace and patience and kindness and goodness, but humility's not in there. And compassion's not in there, but they're found in Colossians. So Paul continues to uh, develop his thoughts upon what the fruits of the Spirit are. He, he continues to develop his thoughts on what the gifts within the church are. And it's the same here. You might fit into one of those gifts. You might be motivated by one of those. But you think about it, you go, wow, I can't see myself in any of them. Does it mean you don't have one? Or does it just mean that someone hasn't helped you discover your motivation, your passion, your desire, who God's created you to be. Might mean that you might need to be 
uh, exposed to the greater teachings of, and when I say greater, it's just the more expansive teachings of either apostle or prophet, a pastor, a teacher, or a, um, what's the other one? Evangelist. Why? Because their purpose is to equip the church, help you discover your purpose, help you discover how God's made you. You can find these gifts in uh, Ephesians 4, 11, Romans 12, 3 to 8, and 1 Corinthians 12, 27 to 28. I don't have time today to expound all of these, although if I had another hour, maybe we could talk through each of them and give you a glimpse of what each of them are like and how I've seen them outworking in the lives of people. But we don't have that time, do we? But you've got time. You've got time to sit with God and say, God, what is an encourager? Show me who the encouragers are in the Bible. What, what is it to be a healer or a mercy giver, a person of compassion and love? What, what is it, Lord? You could sit with God and the Holy Spirit will teach you through the word as you look. Is it Barnabas? He was the encourager. Is that right? Yep. He was a great encourager. If this is the C or the third part of this point section here, we all need to discover, develop, and deploy our God-given gifts. So if there's a list of gifts, and we haven't quite yet discovered what they are, I'm saying that we need to discover what they are. Because no greater joy can be found than someone who not only knows their God, not only knows they're set free, but knows their purpose that God has made them. There's a third point there, isn't there? Understanding why God has brought you into his fault. Do we see that God has brought together everyone, everything that we need? In placing each member in the body, God has blessed us with a multitude of gifting. And it never ceases to amaze me that the, of the potential found in each one of you. It never ceases to amaze me when I sit down and have a conversation, when we talk, we have a coffee at the back or we bump into someone, one of you and we have a conversation. It never ceases to amaze me how profound God is and the gift that he's given into your life. How, how God is m moving and opening doors so that you can find, but not only find, but be a blessing to those around you. I think that's an amazing thing. There is so much potential in this room. Why don't we just stand up for a minute? Let's just stand up. Keep yourselves awake for a moment. I just like telling people to do things. It's fun. You guys listen more than the youth used to, so that's great. Just have a look around. Now, if you're single, don't look for the wrong potential here, all right? This is not a hookup session, okay? This is looking at the potential of what God sees. What do you see? I see a people full of hope. What do you see? I see individual gifts. I see people with two and three different gifts. I see people who have not yet discovered their gift, who needs a brother or a sister in Christ to come around them and encourage them. Who's an encourager? Be brave and raise your hand. We've got one there. Who else is an encourager? Yep, yep, yep. Come on, put your hands up high. Let me encourage you. Put your hands up high. You guys are amazing people, right? You've got to hear that because as encouragers, you don't necessarily get told that you're good people yourselves. You're too busy telling other people how good they are and how God has made them to be wonderful. 
and how God has graced them to be blessings. But you guys are blessed to be a blessing. You guys are called to go and release the other gifts in the church. Not to equip them, release them. Release them with good words, with love, with encouragement, with power to say, you know what, I believe in you. Why do I believe in you? Because Jesus believes in you. See, encouragers sometimes see things that other people can't. You see them because God has made you to see them. So you can call them out. Look around, look at the potential in this room. Some of you are dropping your heads right now because you don't like to think of yourself as potential. But when you discover joy, you won't drop your heads in shame. You lift your heads high because the sovereign God of the universe has called you, equipped you, empowered you, graced you to achieve. That's who God's called you to be. Achievers. Victorious. Pastor Rod shared a word at the start of the year. The head, not the tail. The head, not the tail. You guys are the first, not the last. The first, not the last. Say that to someone. You're the first, not the last. Yeah. Tim, say it to someone. Turn around. Tell Olivia. She's the first, not the last. (laughs) All right. You're the first, not the last. You guys want to sit back and see God do a breakthrough in your life instead of stand up and say, I am the breakthrough. Right? I'm going to say that again because I think some of you have missed it. You just want to sit back in the church and you just want to see God do a breakthrough in your life instead of standing up and saying, I am the breakthrough. God, let it be. Discover who you are and begin to encourage people around you. And you will see God move a mighty work, not only in your life, but in the lives of those in who you connect with. That is love at work. Amen. Thirdly, you need to discover and develop and deploy. Not just discover to make you fat, but deploy them so that other people can discover theirs. Take a seat. Give each other a clap as you sit down. I've got a couple of questions for you. I think they're there. Are you convinced God has planted you in this church to serve a purpose? Are you convinced God planted you here to serve a purpose? And are you convinced there is a gift in you that is yet to be discovered? Mm. Mm. (laughs) Good questions, aren't they? Maybe you want to write them down. And you need to talk to God about those. I want the passion in the church to be like the passion of the Acts 2 church that we looked at last week. Coming together for fellowship coming together to see the word, hear the word, coming together to pray, coming together to enjoy a meal, but so much more than that, coming together to bring people into the kingdom of God. So much more than that, being God here and now as you are the body of Christ and allowing his headship to work through your life. You know, what a great picture Jesus gives us. My concluding points are this. Firstly, have a go. There's no, there's no fear in failure. Really, there's not. There's no, there's no power that failure has over your life that can actually cause you to be detrimental unless you choose it to be detrimental to your life. Who's failed before? 
I'll be honest. I'll put my hands up. I failed heaps. But do you hear that you failed or do you hear that you had a go? Hmm. Better to have a go than to fail. and It's better to have a go and fail than to not have a go and live with regret. See, to have a go means that you're living in faith. It means that you're believing what God's saying about you and about who you're meant to be to a world around you. It means you're believing and you're aligning yourself to the purpose of the cross because God had a go and succeeded. And the more times we have a go, the closer we're going to be to succeeding. Because we are the head and not the tail and we've been called to achieve and to succeed and not to fail. So you might get up and you might have a go. And you might, you might fall over. But we live in a body, do we not? And where one might fail, two or three might come around them and pick them back up again. You might fall into a ditch. I think there's a, is it a proverb about that? It might be even be a, um, another writing of Solomon's. Have a go. James 2.17 says this. Faith without corresponding action is dead. If you're not having a go, then you've got to ask yourself if you're awake, if you're alive. If you're having a go and you're failing, then you're doing better than someone who's not having a go. But if you have a go and you actually achieve something, how much glory does God get in that? See a need and fill it. That's why you see it. Do I have to say that again? See a need and fill it. Because that's why you've seen it. There's no need to run around and say no one else saw that need. You saw it because God wants you to fill it. Make sense? Other people might not actually see that need, but if you see it, then it's sometimes actually linked to your gift of motivation. And when you go and you feel that need, God is glorified. Don't be scared to make a mistake. Be prepared to learn on the way. You don't have to get the next PhD to make sure that you're qualified to do it. PhDs are good, but they're not the be-all and end-all, are they? Secondly, examine your feelings about the ministry gift that you are experimenting with. You want to think about how you develop your your gift. You'll never develop if you don't have a go and you'll never develop it if you're not honest with yourself and evaluate what you're experiencing in the middle of you outworking your gift. You might be trying to discover whether you've got a gift. So you might go and jump in the kids church and start teaching kids and you might realize, well, maybe teaching is not what I'm about. You might jump on the ushers team and you might go and serve and you might say, well, maybe, you know, greeting people and serving and closing curtains and all that. So maybe that's not who I'm about. But you know what? I really enjoyed the connection at the front door that I had with people as they came in. All of a sudden, you're starting to narrow down your focus. You're starting to see, wow, okay, maybe God's called me into this area of hospitality. Or maybe it's, the, the slight little change to that, maybe it's you've just felt compassion for people as they've walked in. You've seen someone come in in a wheelchair and everything in you has just said, I just want to pray for that person. 
Maybe you've seen someone limp in with some crutches, and the same thing. I just want to pray for that person because God wants them healed. You know, and maybe you look at them and you're sitting here today and you can see someone who's on their own and you say, well, they need a friend. And, you know, this gift of mercy starts to rise up and compassion in your life. And, and you go and sit with that person and you go home and you're like, that's the best day ever because you've fulfilled your purpose in life in that moment. So examine your feelings. Have you been enjoying what you're doing? Does it really suit you? Is it a good fit? Does the glove fit your hand in other words? Are you flowing in it or with it? And is it bringing you great satisfaction and fulfillment? Questions that you need to ask sometimes. And lastly, you need to analyze your effectiveness because anything that is grace to grow will grow. That means any, any area of motivation, any gifting upon your life will grow if God has graced you in that area. You need to examine your effectiveness. You need to see, is it being fruitful? Is what I'm doing in the area that I'm working, being fruitful. If you're going to outreach and you're going to Gilgawi or you're going to somewhere else and you're doing that faithfully, and hear me in this, we need team members of faithful, but you're not sharing the gospel with young kids or with teenagers or with adults, or you're not going into the streets, then your area is not quite evangelism or you need to be equipped. Hear how it is? Your area might not be the evangelist, but you could still be equipped to share love. Maybe, maybe you're going out and you're, um, you're running with the youth kids and you're, you're doing all sorts of things and you're like filling the needs that are happening there. And you're in the canteen, for example, and you just love cooking for the kids and you love um, making food for them and, and you're fulfilled every time you go home. We need one of those, by the way. Right? Sorry, guys, I'm just talking for you. You know, like, think about that. Wow, wow that, how awesome is that? Then you're, you're growing in your effectiveness and, and people are being blessed because of it. But if you're in a youth group and that's what you want to do, but you seem to be stuck doing something completely opposite to who you are, you need to go and talk to youth leader and say, I don't think this is who I am. I'm being really effective. People aren't being blessed by what I'm doing. You know? It's an honest conversation with yourself and with those who are leading you. It's this effectiveness. Is it being fruitful for the kingdom? We don't measure all fruit by souls, but we have to measure the overall fruit of the expression and outreach of the church by souls, by lives changed. The overall effectiveness of the church doing its work should be about Jesus adding to their number daily. We said that last week, remember? The overall effectiveness, if I'm doing what I'm doing, if I'm doing my bit, and I'm standing in the chain or in the wall and I'm doing the very things that make me effective and I'm evaluating them and I'm being who God's called me to be, then the overall expression as the church is the church is that lives should be changed. People's lives should be transformed into the likeness of Christ. Does that make sense? That's where we're going to finish there. The question is, are you producing good fruit that reveal ministry gift that you have? You remember these passages of Scripture. Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5.24 He who calls you is faithful. He, who surely, uh, he will surely do it. If God calls you, He is faithful and He will see that it comes to pass in your lifetime. Proverbs 18.16 A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before the great. I've got that one stuck up on my wall now in my office. I had that one there for a while. 
And I just look at it every now and then. Why? Because it motivates me to push on, see the fullness of what God has for my life. If you're motivated to push on to see what God has for your life. Two more. Sorry, I said I'm going to finish up, but there are two more points. Remember, it takes time. You will not be the most effective minister as the, the first time you try. Now, I use that minister term overall broadly, talking about ministering in the body, outside of the body, however God's graced you and called you to be. You will not be the best the first time you try. All right, You can go with all the hope in the world and all the faith in the world to see that you're going to succeed in all the things that you do. Sometimes you'll go home a little bit disappointed because God's teaching you some things. Just don't rush into judgment and don't give up prematurely. Lastly, lastly, I've lost it. There you go. Receive confirmation from your leaders. That's why we're here. Apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists to equip the body for the works of ministry. Receive the confirmation from your leaders. If you're not sure, go and make a book, book a time to come in and see one of us or say, hey, guess what? I've uh, cooked dinner this week. Why don't you come around and have dinner? Or take us out for coffee, whatever. Come in here. I'll make you a coffee. Like, the machine's on a couple of days a week or whatever. Sit down. Tell us what you're thinking. What's in your heart? What's going through? And let us speak into your life and validate the call of God in your life. That's partnering together in the things of the gospel, is it not? As you step out and trust God in this, in these things, rest assured that God will step in with grace and power and work powerfully in and through you as members of his ministering family. When all these ministries are functioning and producing fruit in a church, it becomes a powerful witness to its local community and a real hope is shown that we have in Christ. Amen? Let's stand to our feet.